0: All right, like I said earlier, we are moving from Jacob to Joseph's story, which is kind of interesting. Jacob is uh, the, his name turns to Israel, so he's the nation's founder, right? Joseph is going to be one of the 12 tribes, and he's not even going to be the most important tribe, though he has definitely has a role in Israel's history. If you see Ephraim and Manasseh; those will be, they will replace Joseph's tribe, as you read throughout Scripture. But Judah will be the one that will. Jesus is going to descend from, and so why is is Joseph there? Well, he's kind of like a steward to get the Israelites through to um, through the time through the time of Egypt, right? And he goes before. And he is a Christ figure in the Bible. And if you look through um, different Old Testament passages, you'll see where you'll have examples of guys that look a lot like Jesus. They look like, a lot like a Messiah, a type of Christ is what we would say. But they're not the Christ, right? They display characters of Christ might be a good way to say that. So God gives Jacob peace on all sides. He does that in kind of a different way. Um, and his boys, they tend to go out. They're tending the flocks. He's got 11 sons at this point, one daughter. He sent the 10 of them out, and he holds Joseph back as the boy given to him in his old age. Joseph starts to develop his, develop his sense for right and wrong during this time, We know that Joseph had a very good moral compass. We know that he depended on the Lord. And I believe that this is established during this time, though we don't get to read about it. We do get to see Joseph's character, though, don't we? We get to see Joseph's character as we read his story more and more. And he is a man of character, but he doesn't start out that way. Uh, He starts out a little arrogant, and it gets a little rough at the beginning, but after that, he smooths out pretty nicely. So Joseph, he starts to develop his sense of right and wrong. However, his dad, he is his dad's favorite, and I believe we see this showing up in his relationship with his brothers, and that manifests into hate from his brothers. He, He will get this coat that's all nice and pretty, and his brothers don't get one, and uh, he starts to get this, since he's learning from his dad's teaching, then he gets this, I am I'm the one that's going to be over you. And then he gets the dreams from the Lord that kind of inadvertently reinforce that mindset. But that's not where the Lord was going at all. And Joseph finds that out really quickly when God steps in. So now over these years, his father will develop Joseph into an amazing man of God, but today is not that day. It is the trials and tribulations that humble us and allow us to see God in a clearer way. The difference between our perception of what is and reality is in equal proportion to the pain in our backside. What do I mean by that? So The difference between our procession of what is, in this case, Joseph thought he was all that in a bag of chips, and reality, he really wasn't any better than any of his brothers. Um, And so the pain in his backside was nearly death, but he was thrown down a cistern and then sold into slavery, which was pretty bad. So when we fall from our own pedestal, this is a lot of times when Jesus gets our attention, right? So me than Jesus invites correction until it's Jesus than me. So I'm going to ask yourself this morning to put yourself into Joseph's shoes. Genesis chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 1, and eventually we'll read the whole chapter, but I'm going to break it up a little bit different than how it's written to to show the theme throughout the chapter. So 1 through 11 reads like this. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob, and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his, his half-brothers and the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zippah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly a bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think that we you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun and moon and 11 stars bowed down low before me. This time he he told the dream to his father as well as To his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He said. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down to bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Uh, Anytime you see that, like verse 11, it says, And they wondered, they pondered them within their heart. Uh, That was Mary, mother of Jesus. um, And then Zachariah's wife also had something similar to that as well. But it's usually a foreshadowing of something to come, right? And so that's what we see here. But what we're going to focus on this morning is Joseph's pride because it needs to be dealt with in all of us, right? It's not if your pride's going to well up and, and show up. It's more when it's going to well up and show up. So let's look at Jacob and Joseph's relationship. Jacob loved Rachel more than his other wives. Jacob had Joseph in his old age. Jacob favored Joseph over his other brothers and kind of showed it by giving him that coat, right? Coat of many colors. Joseph stayed close at home with his father while his brothers worked in the fields. Yet we know... Joseph learned some of his good qualities by spending time with his father, as we will see later on in his life. However, right now, Jacob had a tendency to be self-righteous. He reports to his brother, he reports on his brothers of the evils they were doing, and I get the impression that he had pridefully elevated himself in his own eyes. Joseph receives two dreams from the Lord. And as they are from the Lord, God plans to use Joseph, doesn't he? We know that. God is planning on using him. However, he will not be using Joseph in this arrogant state of being. The way he describes his dreams drives a wedge between himself, his brothers, and even his mother and father a little bit, to the point that they hate Joseph. They can't stand to be around him. Nobody likes to be around someone who is so self-righteous that thinks they know it all, right? And he is even slightly rebuked by his father. Yet we read his father ponders these things in his heart, which is a foreshadowing what's coming in the story. I believe. Joseph is blind to his pride. I simply think he is unaware of what he is doing. He is soaking up God's word. He is trying to put it into practice. And in doing so, he is doing it in a way that exalts himself rather than exalting the Lord. I think this is easy to do when we're younger. And when God draws attention to that and he humbles us, sometimes he humbles us through our circumstances like he did Joseph, then he can mold us into what he wants us to shape to be. So thinking is he is just trying to help his brothers, thinking, well, the dreams are from the Lord, right? So it must mean something. I must be God's man. And why wouldn't God want to use me? we start to justify some of these self-righteous behaviors instead of pondering them and asking questions and going to the Lord. This is about the only time we see Joseph's sin in the book of Genesis, okay? Um, You could make a case for maybe one more, but this is the only time where he has brought low, low. But if you look at this, it really shows how God is the hero, If you were to give Joseph's 22nd testimony, we say, I was an arrogant young fool, and then God happened. Now I seek him daily in a way that honors him and gives him the glory. Do you have a story like that? I bet that's what he said to his brothers when he revealed himself to them. Probably not. (laughs) Uh, But we see in verse 6 and 7... And also in verse 11, the two dreams, they're very short in scripture. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tra- tying up bundles of grain. And suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Again, in verse 11, listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed down low to me. You know, the brothers, they don't sit around going, man, I wonder what that means. They just go to straight to, you're going to rule over us? I can't believe that. This is ridiculous. I don't want to have any part with you. I hate this guy. Right? It's a, they don't, that is a very arrogant and prideful reaction to somebody else's pride as well. We can choose to forego their prideful actions and see the person and try to minister there as well, too. So let's remember that. We know these dreams had come from the Lord, and however, we know they were taking a little bit out of context in the way they were delivered. Out of context, like when we are prideful, we need to remember, me the Jesus invites correction until it's Jesus, then me. Here are the results. I'm going to skip down to verse 17 and read through 25 of what happens because of this arrogance, Then we'll come back and we'll catch those other verses in the next section in verse uh, looks like it's verse 18 it says when joseph's brothers saw him coming they recognized him in the distance as he approached they made plans to kill him here comes that dreamer they said come on let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him and then we will see what becomes of his dreams but when reuben heard of their scheme he came to joseph's rescue Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's throw him in the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he will die without without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father because Reuben wasn't in his father's good graces. Um, When... Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him and threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to... Egypt. We're going to come back to that. I'm going to reference that. The the gum ball and aromatic resin. And what that is for is for embalming people, right? And so there's some significance there as well. Well, it looks like pride runs in the family. Let's kill him and then dad will love us. It's a perfect solution, right? Or in Reuben's case, hey, let's throw him in the cistern so I can rescue him and dad will love me. Right? Both are wrong. Reuben's messed up pretty bad. And you see, watch Reuben throughout the story of Joseph. He's always trying to jump in there to save the day. Look at me, dad. Look at how I recognize me. But he's the one that's really messed up with his dad. Too, he slept with his dad's concubines. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, and um, he's he's the one um, that's disobeyed his dad in a few other ways. He loses his birthright because of it, and it goes to Judah. Okay, so anytime you see Judah in the story, at this in this story, there's some significance, and his dad always listens to Judah, so it's interesting. So. Not only is Joseph dealing with some pride issues, his brothers are dealing with some pride issues as well. So let's look at five signs of pride that I've came up with this morning, and let's diagnose them, and then in the next section, we will look at solutions for each one of these things. So we have five signs of pride. First is finding fault in the other guy. We're pointing fingers. We can see so much what's wrong. So-and-so should be to hear this. You know, they really should be because they deal with pride all the time. And if they were here, wow, it would just be an amazing, amazing sermon time for them, right? Well, isn't that kind of ridiculous, right? Yes, um, they need to be here. But if you ever had that attitude, I can tell you from experience That you need to hear it as well, right? Anytime you say, man, so-and-so should be here. What do you see in them that you is a reflection of you? Remember, what you see in others is often a fault that we cannot see in ourselves. Number two, a loose tongue. Arrogance often speaks of others as if they are beneath us or this person's intellect. Well, they just don't know. If you've ever talked to somebody that um, and you've debated with them and you're trying to win the argument instead of win the friendship, which I do sometimes, I'm learning to learn the, to win the relationship and just drop it sometimes. But when I go after it and I will push the envelope and I back them into the corner, an arrogant person will say. Well, you just don't understand these things, and you are just too simple to get into this thing. And you're just kind of like, well, bless your heart, right? Because they pretty much just lost the argument, but they're going to say that I don't understand when really, in reality, they um, were backed in the corner and lost. Uh, so I've learned if I learn to win the relationship, the argument won't even be there because they will respect my opinion enough to listen to what I have to say. When it, people with a loose tongue, they put people down to lift themselves up, or other people are the butt of their jokes. Uh, this is, I used to do this a lot, too. I used to tease people. Now I focus on teasing myself, because if, why, why did I have to tease other people? To make me feel better, well, I figure if I can tease myself and make myself the butt of the joke, maybe I'll make them feel better, right? So, and I can take it. I got a, We all know that I got a big enough ego to be knocked down a couple of notches, right? So, when someone disagrees with you and you're quick to lash out and put them in their place, that's another sign uh, that we have to deal with our tongue and arrogance that we, we have this need to correct people, and that's not good, okay? So number three, outward appearance is very important to these people, to someone who's prideful. We've become more concerned of how others perceive us. How are we perceived in the crowd? How are we perceived in our profession? How are we perceived in this group of people? Can I hang out with this group of people and then be seen by this group of people? That's all pride. When you start asking those questions, because you're not concerned about what the Lord has, you're concerned about what other people has, and people pleasing is based in pride. So we become like the Pharisees, Jesus accused the Pharisees of being whitewashed tombs, right? You look beautiful on the outside, and what you're doing, um, praying on the corners and quoting scripture and having God's word on these little tassels like I've taught you to have, you've done it literally, those are all good things, but they're all prideful because on the inside you're dead. Because you don't put those into practice. You don't let them penetrate your heart. You don't let them change who you are. And so we're dead on the inside. And the outwards in prayer is more important than knowing Jesus in a personal way and surrendering humbly our sins before him. Number four is attention seeker. I'm just glad I don't have a problem with this one. Uh, I mean, if there's a group of people and they need to be entertained, I tell you what, this guy right here is going to take up the job, right? Especially the more caffeine I got in me, the more entertainment is going to come, right? Um, Have I seen success in that over the years in in youth ministry? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen that work. Um, And you got to do it in a way, this is just me, but I do it in just a way that I'm just a half a bubble off that they're wondering, what in the world is going on with this guy? And that works pretty good because then they want to come back for more, right? And then you can introduce them to Jesus and you can see, oh, this is why. I remember I was coming home from the bar one time with my friends. We were celebrating a, a birthday. A lot of us were turning 21 and I hadn't had anything to drink that night. And the, the there was two or three of us that hadn't drank anything that night, and there was two or three of us that had, and we're going by campus security. And the three that had drank, they're like, "Oh, shh, be quiet. Oh, don't say anything." And the and you would have thought it was role reversal because the one of us that hadn't drank anything, we were having the time of our life, hooting and hollering, just having a blast. Right? It's a mindset. You know, Christ sets us free to be able to have a have that good time. We don't have to worry about. Things of this world, and and to have, well, it was just funny because they were all twenty one anyway. So, it, and it's not like they're drunk by any means. It was ridiculous, but um, it was sure fun to play on their feelings. Let me tell you. <laughs> but an attention seeker, they can be another way. They can also play in a way that they are the victim, right? They can play in a way that they are the victim. And they say, oh, look at me and my tragedy and things. Oh, look at how I've this thing. How you doing? Oh, it's been kind of rough. And they immediately take that victim mentality. Well, it's been, oh, I've had this happen and this happen. And, oh, it's just horrible. Well, bless your heart. I just want to be around you more, Right? <laughs> But they want you they want you to draw it out of them and they want them and um, that is also one way people can get attention, right? But there's the opposite is also true. Look at my victory. I used to be like this, I used to have this, I used to be uh have a hunger to be justified in the process. Um, but now I used to have I used to be down and low, but now look at me now. I've I had success, and I've conquered that thing, and they take that glory for their own, right? Both are attention-seeking. I was the victim, but I've overcome. Or you have another mentality in attention-seeking. It says, I will never be the victim because I've set up a system that for 1995... Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but you've seen those commercials, yeah. right? um, that they'll never, it'll never break down. You will have financial security. You'll have the right house, the right car, the right family. All these are people pleasing attributes and not things of the Lord, right? That's not trusting the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding. And the fifth one, proud people tend to rank people. Proud people tend to rank people. These people are worthy of more honor, and I'm going to give more weight to them and their words once... and I'm going to give more weight to their needs as well. Right? That's one thing we don't do very much around here. We keep everybody on the, on equal playing field. Now, I have friendships that I value more than others, but I also have, um, I value all my friendships, okay? So there's a little difference between that and ranking people and saying, well, I know this person has money, so I'm going to kiss up to them. That's basically what I'm talking about, ranking people. Or this person is really silly and they, they make me feel good about myself, so I'm going to get them to be silly to make me feel good. That 's entertain me that's a very arrogant way and a very arrogant reason to have a friendship it's not serving at all in that friendship there's a thrill that goes with through me when I hang out with people with power and they acknowledge me whether it's at the neighborhood association or, or if it's at uh, the congregational meeting, or maybe it's at the PTO, or, or I want to be uh, an elected official because I have this power, and people notice me, and I don't care who I tick off because it just doesn't matter, right? All those are arrogant ways, but when we come humbly, and we have a problem, and somebody says, I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with this, that's a very humble way, and you get advisors on that that's a very humble way to go that. Remember, me than Jesus invites correction until it's Jesus than me. Let's check out verses 12 through 16. This is going back in between the section in between there. And, and after he's talked about his dreams, then it goes to this. So after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home to the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man in the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. I'm looking for my brothers. Jacob, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told them. They have moved on from here, but I hear, heard them say, "Let's go on to Dothan." So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. God's grounding. God's grounding. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say that this man is the Lord. However, there are some clues that certainly point to this way. I will give you one because this is a major turn in Joseph's life. A lot of times you see a major turn in Joseph's life, it is God intervening into this lifestyle. And the application is Father's teaching will come up more prevalent after this. I also see a significance that he's going from the valley of Hebron down to Dothan. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, Hebron means place of alliance, right? When we are together, we have this um, camaraderie as brothers and we're going down to Dothan. Which means the law, and with law we have judgment, and his brothers certainly judge Joseph. So Joseph is walking out of a place of agreement with his brothers into a place of judgment by his brothers. He is walking out of harmony and walking into death sentence and to death's grip. Right? A change of direction. Let's look at these five things again, and let's look at solutions that we may have in here. So on your bulletin, you have five blanks, and uh, I think the solutions are up there. I can't see anything, so. Um, I have them right here in front of me, but they're different than what I put the five solutions if you wanna write them down. If you don't, you can listen. So finding fault in, in the other guy, the opposite of that, and one way we can bring it down into humility is by taking responsibility for our actions and everyone underneath of us. So not only are we taking responsibility for our actions, but we take responsibility for anybody who is underneath of us. If we are really graceful, we can even find it in our hearts to take responsibilities for actions that aren't even our responsibility. What do I mean by that? Well, if I were to Um, have somebody go to church here for a long time and then they quit going to church for a few years and we find out that they vandalized something down the road in the name of White Rose. And we went down there and took responsibility for the actions and cleaned it up even though it wasn't our responsibility. Right? That is a place of humility, isn't it? Because we could have pointed the fingers and said, no, it was their fault. He should be responsible in this. But it doesn't preach a lot more if we go down, take responsibility, and humble ourselves, even though it eventually come out. It wasn't our um, responsibility. Isn't that what the whole premise of the book Pride and Prejudice is all about? She thinks he's so arrogant, and then at the very end, it's like, oh, maybe he was pretty humble. That was his brother, Right? Humbly self-evaluate so we can be more like Jesus. Number two, a loose tongue. Opposite of that is to speak on the same level for others to understand. Come alongside them in a way that they will understand what you're saying. Think before you speak. Don't speak out in anger. Do not interrupt a conversation so they can get your point to be heard. Instead, listen, don't assume that you're right and they're wrong. In every complaint, even if they may be wrong, in every complaint, there's at least a little bit of truth. We also, we ask ourselves, how can we do better? How can we do better in that? So if somebody brings a complaint to you, like as a worship leader, a lot of times you will hear, The music was too loud this morning. The music was too loud. Well, what do you mean by that? Maybe it was one instrument that was too loud. Maybe it was one singer that was too loud, so I need to work with my sound guy and get things balanced a little bit better. Sometimes it is a style. They don't want to hear contemporary music. They want to hear the old hymns, and the contemporary music is too loud for them. I've heard it all, but if you go and you find the truth behind or the reason behind the complaint, then resolution can be found in that, and sometimes it's just they need to be heard, right? And so that's important to do as well. Um, Number three, outward appearance is arrogant. The opposite of that or the way to combat that is to forego pointing out other people's faults because we do this to make ourselves feel better. Promote change from within through Jesus Christ. When we see somebody that has something, we don't go, well, oh, I'm better than them because I have this. Or you see mustard on somebody that's well-dressed shirt, and you go, oh, that's been there the whole service, pastor. You should have. You look like a fool, basically, is what you just told me. And I'm like, oh, thanks. And guess what? I don't care, <laughs> right? Our appearance, um, I give it my best go in the morning when I put on, if it gets dirty throughout the day. Well, oh well. <laughs> That's what, you get what you get. Uh, number four, pride says to seek attention. Humility says, notice the people who hold you up. Thank your supporters and support your supporters, right? This is one of the biggest reasons why I get involved in the food pantry. As much as Judy and the kitchen crew do for us on food pantry day, you'll find those same ladies are the ones that most of them are the ones that do the food pantry as well. And I can support them with my weak mind and my strong back, right? Because I'm not in charge when we walk over there, right? Just pack a freezer wrong once and you'll find out who's in charge. (laughs) Right? But we kid, we just, we have fun with each other, right? And it's a blessing. So, when we come alongside, it's to know your role, right? I am the pastor of White Rose Fellowship Church. I could go over there and exert my authority, but how many people are gonna follow me when I do that? Not many, because it's not my place to exert my authority over there, right? So that is likewise, when I go into a Sunday school uh, session, and I'm not the teacher. I can put my input in, but I'm not going to. At that point, I'm an Indian. I'm not the chief, right? So I, My grandpa would always say. So know your role. Know your role. So support the supporters. Encourage those who have a correct mes- message and speak it boldly, right? Somebody that has taken courage to do a Sunday school lesson make sure that they know you they're appreciated uh, therefore we need to know the message right if you got it, if they're preaching it right you better know it yourself so you can encourage them to keep on keeping on and number five when people rake rank people humility treat others as equals don't they that is the most important part of the food pantry for me on saturdays is to know for those people to know that they are loved and they are have an invitation to come over here on sundays that's really important to me that they we don't give this persona that we are more important that we are um all that in a bag of chips but this is a helping hand up and not a handout right it's really important to me i think it's i know it's important to many of you too so be quick to encourage and promote an environment of gratitude right if christ is ahead the then the body has a direction if the body is headless it's dead already right if christ is the head the body has direction but if the body is headless it's dead already meaning, me then Jesus invites correction until it's Jesus than me. Let's finish it up. Genesis chapter 37, 26 through 36. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? What have, we'll have to cover up the crime instead of hurting him. Let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother and our own flesh and blood. His His brothers agreed, so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders came by. Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to him, to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern when he discovered that Joseph was missing. He tore his clothes in grief, and I would say in grief for himself, and then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will I do now? And that's the indicator, what will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat, dipped Joseph's robe in its blood, and they sent the beautiful robe to his father with this message, look what we found, does this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately, yes he said, this is my son's robe, a wild animal must have eaten him, Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces, and then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap, and he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, and he he would say, and, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Potiphar was a captain of the palace guard. And if you look at Jacob's story, when Joseph is restored to him, he has been mourning for Joseph all the way up to that point. And he does not come out of that. His brothers really kind of messed up a lot. It makes me wonder if they ever went looking for Joseph. God's peace in the chaos. If you ever find yourself asking, where is God in all of this? First, we need to look at the example we have in Joseph. He was going to be murdered, by, but God spared his life. God has prepared his heart, his mind, his soul, and his strength for the trials ahead through his father's teachings. And we also see Reuben. Reuben has a rescue plan, but I think this really represents man's way. And it did not come to fruition because it's not God's way. There's a battle for firstborn rights here, too, as I mentioned earlier. God's rescue plan was for his servant to be humbled, for him to be sold as a slave, to be taken down to Egypt, which would represent the world. If you ever see Egypt and it's referenced in Scripture, it usually means the world's way, right? Taken there by traders who specialize in embalming spices. In a sense, Joseph had gone down to die. That's what it's representing there, right? Joseph needed to die to self, die to position, die to his own understanding so that God could save the whole world through him. And like Joseph... Jesus had to have the same attitude. He gave up his position in heaven. He gave up his divine privileges, his power, and some of his authority, though really we know he didn't really ever lose his authority, just came out differently through a man instead of God. He became a slave. He became a slave in more than one way from a divinity to um, finite. And he became born a man, which if you think if you're God and you became born a man, you've humbled yourself quite a bit already. But then he became a servant, and then he became a servant to death. He humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died on the cross for you and I, for our sins, so that we might be rescued. So as we read in the call to worship this morning, what does God do because of that? Because He is brought low. It says, Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It doesn't say might. It doesn't say maybe. It says they will bow. Every knee will bow. We will either bow in reverence or we will bow in submission and in rebellion. If we choose to bow in reverence and obedience, we have a place in heaven. If we choose to bow out of defiance and rebellion, we have a place in hell. So my question this morning, are you tired of running through life without meaning? Are you tired of running without purpose? Doing the same thing over and over and going nowhere. Maybe it's time to look at the example of Joseph and the example of Jesus. And humbly submit to the authority of the Lord. Because me and Jesus invites correction until it's Jesus than me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your direction. We thank you for giving us opportunities in life to be humbled. Lord, I pray that we would seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness because we know that we will be, that there is fulfillment in these things, that there is a quenching of thirst when we drink of your living water. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each one this morning that next step they need to take. Reveal to them your mighty power and your presence and allow them to get in your word to find you in a personal way that they can see how to walk forward with Jesus Christ in the lead. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray.